Ronald Clark O'Brien was a 31-year-old father and husband who lived in Deer Park, Texas. He worked as an optician at Texas State Optical in Houston. He was also a deacon at the Second Baptist Church, and he sang in the choir. On Halloween night, 1974, Ronald took his two children trick-or-treating with a neighbor. Before the night was over, his eight-year-old son, Timothy, would die convulsing on the bathroom floor. The boy had eaten candy poisoned by his own father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, earning him the moniker, The Candyman. This is his story. O'Brien was born on October 19, 1944. He grew up and started his own family in Texas, eventually settling with his wife, Daneen, in Deer Park, a suburb of Houston. It was there that Ronald struggled to hold down a job. In the ten years preceding Tim's death, Ronald held and lost 21 jobs. At the time of his arrest, he was already dangerously close to losing his job at Texas State Optical. In addition to his inability to hold steady employment, Ronald had racked up a substantial amount of debt. His car was about to be repossessed, his home had been foreclosed on, and he already defaulted on several bank loans. He was roughly $100,000 in debt and had no foreseeable way to dig himself out of it. Roughly a month before the tragedy, Ronald had set up an appointment for his wife, Daneen. She was to meet with an insurance broker to set up a life insurance policy. The appointment was canceled, however, when the couple realized they could not afford the insurance premiums. Unbeknownst to Daneen, Ronald had already set up multiple life insurance policies for both their children, Timothy 8 and Elizabeth 5. By the time Halloween rolled around, the total coverage for both the children was roughly $60,000. In the months preceding, Ronald had made multiple inquiries into the purchase of the lethal substance cyanide, and working in the medical field, he had access to suppliers of various drugs. In August of 1974, Ronald asked a chemist that he worked with what the lethal dose of cyanide would be for a human being. He went on to express an interest in purchasing cyanide, but backed out of the sale when he realized that the chemist only sold it in five-pound increments. That was far too much for his needs. Ronald was later recalled by co-workers as expressing a flippant attitude toward his debt. He made comments regarding a sudden windfall of money that he expected to have ominously soon. He even made mention that he would be remembered. Looking back, the comments are even more creepy and sinister sounding than just the odd guy who insists he's going to make it big. On Halloween night of 1974, O'Brien and a neighbor, Jim Bates, took their four children, Timothy, Elizabeth, Mark, and Kimberly, out trick-or-treating. The weather was unpleasant and rainy. This made the children impatient to keep moving and the parents eager to keep the trick-or-treating short and sweet. Toward the end of the planned route, the group approached a darkened house. It was later identified as belonging to an air traffic controller named Courtney Melvin. The lights were off and the house was still. After ringing the bell and getting no answer, the children moved on to the next house. But O'Brien hung back a moment. He caught up with Bates and the children at the next house, holding up five 21-inch long pixie sticks. O'Brien claimed that he noticed that someone was coming to the door after the children had already turned to leave. 
and that the man had handed him the sticks through the door. The children were excited at the expensive treats, and the story of the hall was repeated once the group returned home. After trick-or-treating, O'Brien made sure that each of the four children had a stick. He then gave the fifth over to the very next trick-or-treater who came to the door. He was an 11-year-old boy named Whitney Parker. The boy took home his prize, but had trouble opening the pixie stick due to the thick staple that held it closed at the top. Before bed, O'Brien told his children that they could choose one piece of candy to have as a treat. Tim chose the stick. His father had to help him open the top as the staple proved difficult for his little hands to undo. He only swallowed the first inch or so of the candy powder before he stopped and complained of a bitter taste. O'Brien went to the kitchen to fetch his son a glass of Kool-Aid to wash away the bitter. Moments after swallowing the candy and Kool-Aid, Tim began to complain that his stomach hurt. He ran to the bathroom where he began to vomit violently. While he was sick in the bathroom, he collapsed into his father's arms and began convulsing and foaming at the mouth. The stricken parents called for an ambulance, but it was too late. Little Timothy O'Brien died while en route to the hospital. There were three others who very nearly died that night. The boy, Whitney, who had come to the O'Brien's door and left with the pixie stick of his own, was one. He had taken the stick home and tried to open it, but the staple had proved too troublesome. He set the stick aside for another treat, but went to bed clutching the stick. He was found that night by his father, still cradling the poisoned candy in his sleep. The stick was turned over to the police, along with the remainder of the boys' trick-or-treating candy, when investigators swept the neighborhood, cautioning parents due to the O'Brien tragedy that was unfolding. The second, who was very nearly claimed by cyanide poisoning as well, was Jim Bates' son, Mark. He had managed to open his stick, but in his excitement over the evening, swung the stick around and spilled powdered candy all over the floor. His mother took the stick away from him and inadvertently saved his life. The third almost victim was the EMT who was in the ambulance that carried Tim O'Brien. While Tim lay close to death in the ambulance, EMT David Malone kept careful watch on the boy's breathing. Malone was ready to begin mouth-to-mouth -mouth if he saw that the breathing had stopped. He was lucky he never began resuscitation, as doctors later informed him that there was still enough cyanide in the boy's mouth that anyone who would have performed the maneuver would likely have been fatally poisoned as well. O'Brien portrayed the grief-stricken father as he sat beside his dead son's hospital bed and sobbed while telling the police that he had gotten the candy from a neighbor. Investigators immediately went out into the neighborhood to warn parents not to let their children eat the candy they had collected that night. All of the poison sticks were collected and accounted for, and for years after this horrible event, Halloween was ruined for children everywhere, as nervous parents insisted on checking every morsel for tampering. O'Brien was inconsistent in his portrayal of a grieving father. At his son's funeral, he was seen joking and laughing about how he was going to spend the money from Tim's life insurance policy. He'd not even waited a full day after the death of his son before calling the insurance company to file a claim. On November 5th, Ronald Clark O'Brien was arrested and charged for the murder of his son, Timothy. His story of being given candy by a mysterious neighbor fell apart under scrutiny. He was later tried for the poisoning death of his son on May 5th, 1975. 
He was found guilty on June 3, 1975, after the jury took 46 minutes to deliberate. They took another 71 minutes to decide on a sentence of death. O'Brien's wife divorced him shortly after the trial and went on to marry another man who adopted her daughter. Elizabeth never spoke to her father again. Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed by lethal injection for the lethal poisoning of his eight-year-old son, Timothy. O'Brien entered the death chamber and breathed his last a little after midnight on March 31, 1984. The Candyman was dead, but Halloween would never be the same again. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode about The Candyman. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, and feel free to leave us a comment as it helps others find us more easily. Help spread the word by liking us on Facebook or following on Twitter and Tumblr. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or an idea for a podcast, please send us a message at info at brutalends.com. Until next time.